hope you guys who are fathers enjoyed a wonderful Father's Day last week. I hope you were uh, blessed by that. It's great to be a dad. Uh, I, we enjoyed Father's Day quite a bit last week, and uh, I got to have my favorite meal made for me. And it's literally, this meal literally has my name on it. True story, uh, Katie gets a cookbook at a, uh, at a bingo in North Carolina. That's a story in of itself. And in this cookbook, there was a meal, and the meal literally had a recipe labeled Pastor Ryan Special. And it, I mean, not, that was not Instagrammed, Instagram apt on there or whatever you kids say today. This really happened. Uh, Katie cooked said meal. It was delicious. It's been my favorite meal ever since. Just when he asked, what do you want to eat? I said, let's do Pastor Ryan Special. Uh, and the best thing about it, she made lots of it. She made lots of this food. And so the wonderful thing about that, of course, is during the week, as the week went by, I got to microwave it over and over and over again and enjoy it, right? Which is a microwave, wonderful invention. You pop it in there, cook time, 40 seconds or whatever, beep, 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 it's ready, ready to roll, right? So that's a one wonderful way to eat food, but we have a household of boys who like to eat meat, and because of that, I very often like to grill food for our family, uh, for dinners especially, and so I'll, I'll bust out the grill, and it takes a little bit longer, as you know, to, to cook. And we did this last night. We got off the grill. But, but that's the only way to bring out the full flavor, right, of the meat, of the food, is to just take a little bit more time. The flavor comes out, and it's delicious. So sometimes you have sermons that are like sermons coming out of a microwave, right? I get up here every Sunday, and, and a lot of times it's, a, it's, a, it's quick, easy to understand. Boom, immediately applies to life. Sometimes some sermons are more like, the food's been grilled. It takes a little bit longer. You have to kind of think and track with me to get the full flavor of what God's Word's trying to say so we can enjoy applying it to our lives and see how it's relevant to our lives. Sometimes it's microwave, sometimes it's grilled. Every once in a while, a slow-cooked sermon, though, is in order. I occasionally also like to cook ribs. One of the ways I do that is I put the ribs in a slow cooker five to seven hours, but you're never sure exactly when they're going to be done, so you, you check back in on it. You come back, you, you maybe take a little bite or two. All of a sudden, half the ribs are gone. That sort of thing, right? These are sermons that are necessary, but may not immediately apply to your life. These are ones we, we go back to, we remember, oh, that didn't apply then, but it applies now. And you kind of go back to the website sometimes, you get on, online where our sermons are recorded. We have sermons like that, sermons like our divorce and remarriage sermons. May not apply to you then, but it maybe applies now. Our Proverbs series, our series on emotions and, and how to deal with them biblically, our series on should I stay or should I go, these are ones people have often returned to because you don't know when those words are going to apply to your life, but someday they will. Someday they will. So, so we listen, we wait, and then oftentimes we go back to hear that again for ourselves. And for many of us, today's sermon is going to be one of these slow cookers, we're concluding our series today on how to walk into church. And we've looked at it very practically by thinking about how do we maximize our connections with one another and with God, like Paula was saying earlier, and, and how do we do that before we enter church, from, from 10 to 11.30, after church. But we haven't examined one issue left, and that's when we go out these doors, leaving church. And sometimes when we go out those doors, for some people when they leave a church, it's the last time that they set foot into that church. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What God has to say through his, through his word on this subject may not immediately apply to you this morning, but someday it will. 
Someday it will, wherever God may take you, almost certainly. So as with slow-cooked ribs, we'll occasionally check in. We should occasionally check in on topics like this, and we're going to do that this morning. As I was thinking about how to address this topic, three scenarios that came to mind, three basic scenarios for why people leave a church. Right? Oftentimes it's just because they leave island. They, they leave the place in which they're living. Other times they leave one church for another church. And then sometimes people leave church for the world. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, those three scenarios. Normally on Sundays I take one text from Scripture and I preach through it. I'm most comfortable with that. I, I love doing it that way. But there's no, there's no one text that covers all three of these subjects, of these scenarios. So, we'll use three. In fact, this is going to feel a little bit like three mini-sermons this morning. So to summarize, Ryan, you're telling me this sermon may not immediately apply to my life, and I have to listen to three sermons instead of one. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying <laughs> this morning. So aren't you glad you came to sunrise and, and got through all those obstacles? Don't worry, if you get sick of that, I'll be gone all of July pretty much, so uh, you'll get a heavy dose of Brett and my friend Adam Gordon in a little while, but um, you got me this morning. So here's scenario number one, why people leave churches. They leave island. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians, the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. That's going to be on page 846. If you're using one of the Bibles we've provided you in these chair pockets or middle end of these aisles, please do grab one. 846 is the page number of 1 Thessalonians towards the back of the Bible. Some of you are pretty sure you're going to leave here one day. You're pretty sure. You're pretty confident you will leave. Amen. You'll leave the place in which you're living. You're just not sure when. And I think the question I want to put before all of us, before all of us short-termers, if you will, and we should put before ourselves is this, how can I leave the family of God better than I found them? How can I leave the family of God better than I found them? That's a question we should all ask. No matter if, you're, if you think you're going to be here for a year, or three years, or five years, or seven years. How can I leave the family of God better than I found? How can I make, help make family members more resemble the Father who created them? To grow into the family resemblance, the Father's resemblance. How can I do that? In Matthew 28, Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, commands his apostles, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, com- uh, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. So go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Okay, how, do, how do then do we help people grow? How do we teach them so that they grow up into, into more full family members and resemble the Father? Well, there's no more productive disciple maker in the Bible and perhaps in all of human history than the Apostle Paul. And there's this particular place in the Bible where Paul gives sort of three different relational approaches to help family members grow. Paul hadn't spent much time in this place called Thessalonica, but many people who lived there were eager to hear about Jesus, to learn about Jesus, to grow then as a family member of Jesus. However, as he's spending time there, we find out this out in Acts 17, the book of Acts, a lot of people opposed Paul. They didn't like what he was preaching. They didn't like what he was saying. They wanted to hurt him, but they couldn't really find him. So instead, they found his host, His name is Jason. Poor Jason. (laughs) Just the host. Gets dragged out of his house, he and a bunch of friends, and and they're accused of treason. Treason against Caesar. Eventually, they pay some bail money, they're let go, and Paul and Silas are sent away in the middle of the night. 
So the point is, Paul didn't want to leave this beautiful seaside city. He was forced to leave. He had to go. But thankfully, he made the most of his time there. He made, he made the most of, of investing time into this new family of God that he possibly could. And how did he do that? Well, he was a mother to new Christians. He was a father to young and growing Christians. And he was a brother to mature Christians. So we should look at this model and consider a similar approach as we think about how to invest in God's family. So first of all, be a mother to not yet a new Christians. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 5 through 8. For we never came with, in other words, we didn't come to you, Paul speaking for himself and his traveling companions, to these people. We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is my witness. We didn't seek glory from people, whether from you or for others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves, because you become very dear to us. So Paul says he was like a a nursing mother taking care of her children. Taking care there is is a very interesting word. It's used in other literature of the time, and actually in the Old Testament elsewhere, of a mother mother bird caring for her baby chicks. A mother bird, she doesn't always, she doesn't smother the chicks, right? In fact, she finds ways to care for her newborns even when she's away. After feeding and caring for her young, she leaves, but not for long. She checks in regularly. She watches from afar. She thinks about those baby chicks while she's away. Right? And then similarly, that should be our relational posture to new people, people who maybe don't yet know Jesus or people who've just come to know Jesus. You also, one of the ways you care for them as a, a sort of mother figure. Well, moms remind people of grace. Moms are great at this. New Christians make a lot of the same mistakes that they used to make. And, and sometimes you look at that and you think, oh man, still making the same mistakes. And it's easy when that happens to want to correct behavior like, oh, you shouldn't do that. Or you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. But what new Christians, what we should really focus on is grace. Reminding them, you know what? Jesus forgives you. Jesus loves you. Just turn back to him. Turn back to him. We remind them of grace. That should be our relational posture towards new and not yet Christians. You also use words of assurance. God loves you. He is still with you. You know, the Bible says that God, the same God who began a good work in you, he's going to see it to completion. And you assure them. God hasn't given up on you just because you've messed up. Paul talks about another way to relate to people. He says, basically, be a father to young and growing Christians, right? 1 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. Let's read that. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, we encouraged you, we even charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul, first of all, says here, you are witnesses, your witnesses to my life. Is anyone witnessing your life? Are you around enough for someone to witness what God is doing in and through you? Because a father is an available, a witnessed example to his kids. Are you around enough for that in other people's lives, in the family of God? Right? A father reminds people of how 
they've done a good job. Paul says, we exhorted you and encouraged you. Good fathers give out well dones. Fathers also charge, we're told here. Paul says, like a father, he charged them. So, having listened to someone, empathized with someone, hearing their story, getting to know them, asking a good question, a father stirs up, boldly stirs up a young man, a young woman, to love and good works. Like Tim read this morning, like we talked about last week, on last Sunday, that you don't just go up to someone and be bold with them, but as you get to know them, as you're tender with them, like a, kind of like a mom, you had that permission in getting to know them to charge them sometimes, to, to boldly speak into their lives. I had a friend who thankfully related to me like a father. He, he spoke hard to hear truth into my life. I was still a young pastor, young husband, and dad. Mason was still super young, and I was, I was saying yes to every speaking opportunity, every teaching opportunity I could get. I was just saying, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, I want, I want to do that. I love speaking, and I love teaching, but I was really acting selfishly. If I looked at my motives and my heart, I could see down deep it was still about me. So I had an older friend who acted like a father, and he charged me to step up as a parent. He didn't demean me in doing it. He didn't make me feel worse about myself, but he shared his own life. He opened the Bible with me. He even encouraged me. He said, Ryan, you've been a, a spiritual parent to, to others. Be an actual parent to your kids. Here's how. And I needed to hear that. And, and sometimes in the family of God, that, that's the posture we would take. Of course, that happens in relationship. That happens in a spirit of love. But sometimes that's, that's what it means to be a father. And other times, it's appropriate to be a brother or sister. And Paul talks about that as well, to be a, be a brother or sister to those of similar maturity. So Paul keeps talking. Look, what the, look what label he uses next, what relational label. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus who were in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen that they suffered from the Jews. So a couple things stand out here about a brother relationship, a, a sibling, a brother-sister relationship. Brothers and sisters talk about God's word together. They don't just talk about necessarily anything. And it's not the sort of talking about where you're examining God's word like it's a, a textbook, or you're constantly questioning it. You receive it, you talk about it as if it's the authoritative word of God. Like it matters to the way you live. That's what brothers and sisters do in relationship with each other. They also go through hard times together, don't they? Brothers and sisters suffer together. In fact, you could argue the, the, the talking about God's Word together prepares us for the suffering. The reason why we talk about God's Word together as brothers and sisters in Christ is because hard times are going to come and we need to remember those words and those encouragements from what God has to say to us. So, when you think to yourself, how can I... Leave God's family better than I found them. Think about the ways that you can relate to people. To, to be like a mom, like a tender mother to young Christians and people who maybe not even know Christ yet. To, to, to be like a dad. Lots of praise, encouragement, occasionally stepping into someone's life a little. To people who are growing and eager to grow. But to be like a brother or sister to people who are kind of the same place you are spiritually. So, that's what I would say. I think that's what God's word would say to those of us who may not be around here forever. Make sure you leave your footprint behind and came in 
and in the family of God. Secondly, though, second scenario is that people leave church for another church. That happens as well, doesn't it? People leave church for another church. We're going to turn here to Acts chapter 15. I'm going to put that up on the screen if you don't want to turn there. But Acts 15, we're going to read verses 35 through 41. Acts is a story about the early church. It lets us know after Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, how he empowered God's people through his Holy Spirit to relate to one another and spread the gospel. We'll read starting at Acts 15, verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city, because they had been sharing the gospel in many places up to this point. So we're going to, let's return there, visit the brothers and sisters in those cities where we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them at Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, and they sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And Paul went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Let me give you a little flavor of what's happening here. Antioch is the place of the first megachurch for Christianity. All right? God begins to do a significant work there among people of just almost every tribe and tongue. It's pretty amazing. Barnabas is sent by the apostles to go help care for the church there, to, to teach them. But he needs help, so he, he calls on Paul. He says, Paul, would you come and teach? I know you're a good teacher. I'd love to bring you in. We can teach together. It was a wonderful partnership. Chapter 11 said, though, that for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. So good things are happening. The church is growing. From that church, Paul and Barnabas are set apart. They're sent off as missionaries to share the gospel with more people. Along the way, they make and train disciples, some of whom actually join the movement of missionaries. It's wonderful. One of those men is named John Mark. So he comes along for the journey. He helps them share the good news about Jesus with other people. But then he abandons them. One moment, he, he, just, he just leaves, and he goes home, and we're not told why. So we fast forward to Acts 15 that we just read. Paul, Barnabas, back in their home church, teaching, doing ministry together. They're ready to go out again together and share the good news to other places. Except that Paul has this problem with John Mark. They, he may disagree with John Mark's beliefs. Maybe he, he mistrusts his faithfulness or his leadership. But it means that Paul and Barnabas can no longer serve together. What can we learn from this experience from Paul and Barnabas, and they're going their separate ways. Number one, you can be on the same mission, but also be on different teams. Same mission, different teams. What I mean is you can continue on the same mission to go and make disciples of all nations, and you just do it on different teams. And that's okay. And then that translates to churches. Some churches have different missions and visions, and how they're going to approach going and making disciples of all nations, how they're going to help grow people. And that's okay. You can have that same straightforward mission of what we're all called to do and yet be on different teams. And number two, what we can learn is sometimes different teams means multiplying gospel ministry. It means actually multiplying what you can do for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
while Barnabas goes south, Paul goes east, which means more territory is covered for the gospel, right? More people are brought in. Silas is brought in, right? Where maybe he just sits at home in Antioch. We found that we know earlier he was a leader in that church. He's brought along to become a missionary. So things can actually multiply when you go on different teams, and God is so good that way. For us, this means that sometimes God may lead a good friend or someone we love or look up to onto a different church, onto a different team, still on the same mission, part of the same universal body of Christ, just a different expression of that body, just a different team, and that's okay. What, what are then, what would be some wise reasons for leaving one church for another? Let me talk about that for a minute. And by the way, I need to clarify, I'm not talking to the person here. Maybe you're here this morning and you're prayerfully exploring which church God is leading you to, and, and I'm really not talking to you here. If, I'm talking to folks who you've been part of a church, you've served in the church, you've been part of the community in the church, you've given to the church. That's the folks I'm talking to. If you're prayerfully considering this church and others, please don't, don't hear me say all of this applies to you. But for folks who are committed already to a family of God, what are some wise reasons for leaving a church? Number one, you disagree about truth. You disagree about what's true and what's not. In fact, I would even say you, you should leave a church if they don't agree with you on the essentials of the gospel, the essentials of Jesus and his church. Those are the authority of the Bible, the lordship of Christ, salvation, being, being rescued by God, is by grace alone, through faith alone. Not by works, not by other things we do on top of that. The importance of church community. These are things that are the essentials of the Christian faith. And, and, and if you're in a church at any time that sort of denies those things, or even just skirting constantly into the, into the not believing those things, you should probably leave. Now, you have to decide for yourself <clears throat> on the non-essentials because... Christians throughout history have disagreed how to apply what they see in the Bible to life and to what they do. That, that's, that's, that's a grayer area. That's a grayer area. So you, if you disagree on the essentials of what's true, that's probably a good reason to leave a church. Number two, second re- wise reason to possibly leave a church is you started to mistrust leadership. Now let me say this. Leaders, I am one, make mistakes. I do I make my share of mistakes and probably enough for two or three other people as well. And they're going to let you down because they're human beings also, right? And so we show grace and hopefully you will. But if you have a problem with leadership in the church, don't just pick up and leave. Jesus says, first go, talk to that person in private, and also listen to what they have to say. Now let's say things don't change. You may be in the right, you may be in the wrong. But if you're starting to to feel constant friction, if you're starting to, to vent frustration, there comes a time when it's not only better for you, but probably better for the leaders in that church that you leave. When it gets to the point where you're, you're talking to other people and you're venting frustration, you're airing grievances, probably not a good idea for either you or for the, for the leaders, for the church, for you to actually stay. Number three, the reason it might be wise to leave is you don't grow in that church. I have a major, major caveat for that. When you think to yourself, well, wait a minute, I'm not growing in this church or that church or whatever church you might go to. I would, I would encourage you to start by being self-suspicious. Be self-suspicious. 
Are there any particular ways the Bible or even the church leadership has said, here are ways to grow. Here are ways to grow. Here, here are ways through community. Right? Here are personal disciplines. Here are, are corporate opportunities to, to get to know people. Here are, are ways to connect with others. Here, here is service. Here is outreach. And you hear those things and, and you don't ever participate in them, then if that's your default, just to kind of stay home, well, you should consider that's not the reason why you're not growing, is you actually haven't like kind of gotten involved in the ways that the Bible and even the leadership have said, hey, here are ways to get involved. Here are ways to plug in. So these are some reasons, I think some wise reasons, consider leaving a church. And in a moment, my, my friend uh, Jake Taylor, on behalf of he and his wife Emma, he's going to share how they left the previous church. And I'm so excited for you to hear this. It's not like Oftentimes you don't think about a testimony being about leaving a church. <laughs> I get it. Like not a lot of people are like, anyone got testimonies on how they left their last church? Like no one wants to necessarily hear that. But I was so impressed that they did so prayerfully, slowly, respectfully, in a way that edified everyone and glorified God. And you're going to hear that in a few moments, all right? Because leaving well, what's interesting is not only glorifies God, but it opens the possibility to get on the same team again in the future. You never know. In fact, our story with Paul has a happy ending. We find out from the end of Colossians that Paul and John Mark, years later, joined back together on the same team again. John Mark's back there supporting Paul, doing ministry with him, even as Paul's in prison. Awesome story, right? That happens because of how you do leave a church, how you do part ways, and my friend Jake's going to share about that in a moment. Let me first get to scenario number three for when people leave a church, and that is leaving for the world. Leaving for the world. Now, to be just real honest with you guys, nobody has ever sat down with me over coffee. He said, Ryan, let's meet for coffee. We sit down. They say, Ryan, I'm leaving the church to indulge myself. No one's ever sat down with me and said, Ryan, I'm leaving the church to just do what I want to do. All right? I know, no one's ever said that to me. I'm leaving the church because the world is great. And, you know, Jesus is less than that. So, sorry, man. People, when they leave the church for the world, they don't so much leave but drift. They drift, don't they? Or don't we? Haven't we? Here's what drifting usually looks like in most of our lives. It begins with busyness, right? It's a busy season at work. We had a, we had a wave of house guests who didn't feel, we didn't really feel comfortable inviting to church. And I was traveling for two weeks, and because it was two weeks, I missed three Sundays because of the travel schedule, and I try to make most of my time. Perhaps it's a family member, a spouse, or a child who's not as warm to the church as you are. And it's just, you know, it's no longer worth the hassle of getting out the door on Sunday morning because they just give me a lot of resistance about it. Maybe Sunday morning just becomes your overflow day for Saturday. I'm not saying in other cells cell, you shouldn't travel or you shouldn't miss a Sunday, but I'm saying it starts there. In some shape or form, drifting usually begins with missing Sunday gathered with God's people. That's usually how it looks. And as dangerous as that can be, it's not as dangerous as the justifications we make, the justifications that follow drifting. Like, it's okay, I know lots of Christians. I hang out with lots of Christians. I hang around them, right? But that's that's probably true, but do you really like open the Bible together? 
You really like just say, you know, I, we should pray together. I know you're a Christian. We're here at this pub watching this rugby match. I just feel it's time for a word of prayer. What do you feel, what do you feel like, brother? You know, it just rarely happens. So we make these justifications. Or, you know, I listen to CDs. I, have, I listen to Christian radio. I read my devotional. I get that daily scripture into my email inbox. I'm good, Ryan. And this is what happens. You start to privatize your faith. You individualize your faith. And so when someone maybe presses us a little or we see someone from church we haven't seen for a while, sometimes we even speak up and say, hey, look, I know I'm not going to church, but it's not like I don't believe in Jesus. It's not like I don't believe he died and rose the dead for me. Now, let me, let me stop and say, if you're here this morning and I'm describing your situation, you have just come back today from being away from church. We, we are so glad that you're here. We want you to feel welcome. We're so glad you're with us, truly and sincerely. And, and there is so much grace for that. In fact, having said that, you may agree with some things that I'm about to say if you're just coming back, okay? If you find yourself drifting, here are a couple, a few ways I'd appeal to you to come back. Come back to the family of God. Come back to church. Here are a few ways. First of all, I'd make an appeal to Jesus himself. We want to be near Jesus. And he called the church his body. We want to be near Jesus. He calls the church his body. Early Friday morning, I was out at the beach and I was reading the Gospel of Mark, just reading about Jesus' life and ministry. And I just had this, this thought, this picture of what it would be like to actually be there, to walk with Jesus in the flesh, to know him, be embraced by him, just walk with him. And, and we actually can have this when we walk with his church. Right? The flesh and blood remainder of Jesus. Jesus. Once Jesus rose from the dead and ascended, he left behind the church as his body. He said, now this is my body here. I'd also make an appeal to wisdom if you would start to drift. Those who do return to church never say, man, I'm just so glad I was away for a while. I was just, it was so good for me to be away from church. I don't know anyone who's ever said that. We, we regret having missed out. Yeah, there's joy upon returning. There's grace. We love it when people come back. You know I don't come up to you. I'm not like, hey, haven't seen you in a year. So great to see you. I don't do that to you guys if you come back. We're just happy to see you. And there's grace in that. And there's love in that. But there's also regret for having missed out, isn't there? In the Old Testament, there's a great book of wisdom called the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Let me repeat that one more time. Proverbs 18.1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. There's just not wisdom in sort of going it alone. Number three, I would just appeal finally to a warning. This is from 1 John 2.19. They went out from us. This is the Apostle John speaking about people who left the churches. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. Now I want to say very clearly, I don't have enough time to do this verse fully justice in all its context. I preached on uh, through 1 John in, in May of 2013. You can go back and listen. But it does answer the question, why do people drift 
from church to the world, what does it sometimes say about us or say about them? Well, you just read this verse, right? Drifting out on, on your own just might, might say something gravely serious about where you stand with God. I don't say this to, to scare you. I don't say this to be spiteful or manipulative. I say it because it's right here in the Word of God. They were with us, but they weren't of us. And, and I know this is a very serious note to end the sermon on, but I pray, I do pray that, that God would warn our hearts with this Scripture if we should start to drift out and try to do life on our own. Let's pray together. Father, recognize this morning that talking about leaving church isn't the most happy-go-lucky sermon topic to talk about. And yet there are many times you address in this world where people go different ways, people leave. And sometimes people even leave when they're not in a, in a good place spiritually. And we thank you for your word, for, for wisdom on how to navigate the situations. I just want to pray for us if, if we should ever leave Uh, sunrise, or if we should go to another church because we leave island, that we would remember these things, the the, the reasons why it might be wise to leave a church for another church. If we know we're going to leave, God, help us. Help us invest the time we have now and the talents we have now in the family of God to leave them better off than when we found them. Please help us with that. And God, please warn our hearts when we start to drift and we start to justify, make rationalizations. Oh, it's no big deal. And, 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 and I can just make my faith my own, have my own sort of spirituality. Remind us, God, of the importance of being with God's people, wherever that might be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.